Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to create an incredible SaaS business with an unstoppable strategy. Today, we have our guest, TK Catter, joining us. TK is an entrepreneur, international best-selling author, and angel investor. He helps people achieve anything that they desire through belief, discipline, and what he describes as an unstoppable strategy. TK started his career at Bridgewater Associates, which is known as one of the best hedge funds in the entire world. He then founded his startup Tout App, which was backed by Andreessen Horowitz, Jackson Square, two of the best venture capital firms in the world. TK then just sold Tout App to Marketo, uh, which we'll talk about today, which was then owned by Vista Equity Partners, one of the best private equity equity firms in the world and was part of the executive team at Marketo that helped drive its transformational and eventual $4.7 billion sale to Adobe. TK now leads what he calls the unstoppable movement to help people lead more proactive lives and businesses. So welcome, TK. Super excited to have you on our show today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I appreciate the kind intro also. That was was good. Hopefully that was a good story of kind of your background. But for those who don't, in our audience, who don't know much about your background, you've raised capital from some of the top VC firms mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Can you share your story about how you secured the funds? Um, And do you have any tips or suggestions for other SaaS founders looking to raise from, you know, similar groups to increase their chances of success there? Yeah, absolutely. So just for context, um, I was a complete outsider to Silicon Valley when I started ToutApp. Uh, I did like a small stint in Silicon Valley, uh, but didn't really have a big network. And so when I moved there, I, I, I was in New York City. I was starting to build out ToutApp and I moved to Silicon Valley. I, I kind of just like worked my ass off to kind of network with as many people as possible uh, and, and get a great set of angel investors. And I think the way we were able to work with some of the best venture capital firms was Honestly, we were introduced to them by our angel investors who worked really hard, had those connections, had those networks, and uh, they kind of introduced us in a, in, a, in a good way into the firms, which allowed us to get the audience of the firms and get their attention and pitch them as we were raising our Series A and Series B. Interesting. So for people who are looking to maybe, you know, increase their chances of, of getting, you know, raising capital from some, some high-end firms like that, maybe putting themselves in the in a city where they're, they have higher chances of being introduced, would you say? Yeah, well, for us, like, uh, I started ToutUp in 2010. At that point, the world was a lot less remote, and Silicon Valley was a little bit more of the center of the world for tech. I do think that's changed in the last 10 years. Uh, I think, like, if I were to adapt that strategy to today, uh, the, I, would, I would say there's two things that really helped us get top-tier firms interested and invested in us. The first one is get great angel investors that are hooked into these uh, this, the, the networks so that they can introduce you and connect you. Uh, put them to work, essentially. Don't just take their money, but also ask things of them. And the second thing I would say is, ultimately, these top VC firms, there's a reason why Sequoia wins every time. There's a reason why Andreessen Horowitz wins every single time. It's because they're heat-seeking missiles for the most important ideas that are out there, for the largest TAMs that are out there. And so what you probably need to do is less about convincing them why your thing is the thing, but more about thinking about why your thing is going after a really large TAM total addressable market and is solving a very important and urgent problem. You get those things down right, almost in a way they'll find you. You don't even have to find them. Nice. That, that makes perfect sense. So you launched and ran, you said in 2010 for over seven years, where I believe you raised a Series A and a Series B. 
before it was acquired by yep. Mercado. Uh, can you share how much you raised in total during that time? Yeah. So the way the funding history went was we were actually bootstrapped first and we got to cash flow break even and, uh, um, and with like small amount of revenues. Then we raised about 200, no, we raised about 350K as sort of an advisory round. Um, we, uh, part of that was we joined 500 startups, uh, we're batch number one of their accelerator program. So that's how oh. like back in the day this was, um, then we raised about a million, got to a million ARR and then cash flow break even. Then we raised 3 million. Uh, that was our series a $3.3 million series a, um, and that got us to 3 million ARR. And then we raised another 15 million. Uh, that was led by, uh, so the Series A was led by Jackson Square Ventures. The Series B was led by Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and that took us to about 7 million, which is when we exited. Very nice. That's a good time to exit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the best time to sell a company is when someone wants to buy it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Makes sense. And do, do you remember that moment? Uh, can you describe that moment, how you felt at that time of the exit and you know, maybe how it changed your life? Well, yeah, the, honestly, the Taudap exit was interesting because it was part cash, but it was also a lot of equity in Marketo. Mm. And so the truly financial life-changing event happened when we sold Marketo to Adobe because that's where the, a lot of the stock portion of the deal converted to cash for us. Amazing. And so that was, that was amazing and life-changing. The Taudap deal itself was also life-changing and amazing because we, you know, our startup journey was not a perfect journey. We went through some twists and turns. We went through some ups and downs. And when we sold, it was a moment of like, oh my God, like we actually turned, we almost died a year before. And then what we had to do was apply a different playbook to actually get back to growth and, uh, and reducing costs and driving up, uh, driving up um, the value of the customer and getting all the unit, unit economics right. So at that moment when we sold the Marketo, it was a moment of like, oh my God, like that playbook worked and that was super hard. When we sold Marketo to Adobe, it was more of like a sweet, I think I'm going to go sleep now type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you felt you finally made it and uh, you hit the dream. That's when it truly felt mission accomplished. Yeah, like the tout up to Marketo exit was a little bit more of like a pit stop mm. uh, because, you know, it wasn't like the ultimate goal for an ending. It was more like, okay, cool. This is good. We're joining up with a larger company. Let's keep going. There's more to be done. Nice. Uh, but after Marketer to Adobe, it felt like a real like, okay, this is a good solid bookend to the journey. Makes sense. And did, did you have an exit plan beforehand? And you said, okay, now we structured this company. We're actively looking for a strategic buyer like Marketo. Or were you approached by them and were just happy with the offer at the right time and right, right place? Yeah, no. Uh, so the way it went, went down was... Uh, I think it was 2016, if you remember, there was this like January, February when every single SaaS stock tanked and mm -hmm. all the SaaS multiples were completely out of whack. That's when we were fun uh, fundraising for a Series C. And so that was like the worst time to be fundraising. And so our growth was good, but not great. We were kind of in the middle of the growth story. And so we were like, okay, I don't know if we can raise a Series C. Uh, what do we do? And most companies just die at that point. We're like, no, we refuse to die. This market's strong enough. So we actually put in a kind of a two-prong strategy. One was let's go drive to growth again, and but let's do it in a much more efficient way versus just like uh, throw money at it way. Mm -hmm. And that was what kind of strategy A and strategy B. Uh, we pursued both of these was to make sure that we look for an acquirer because we weren't sure if that space was going to be a category or a subcategory. And mm -hmm. so we, we designed the whole thing. We're like, let's go do these changes to the business 
to really uh, turn turn growth to where it needs to be. And let's also start talking to some strategics to understand what they think about the space and whether we want we think this is going to be a giant IPO scale ca- category or. Uh, if it's going to be a subcategory, we're better off joining forces with the larger player right now to go dominate the market. It makes perfect sense. So I'm, I'm assuming, you know, obviously the, the Adobe deal was was life changing. But looking back now on that first uh, transaction to Marketo, was it was that the right time to exit for you? Or would, would you have done anything different? Yeah, no, 100 percent. It was yeah. the right the right thing. I think yeah. like there's when you're thinking about exiting your business as a founder, mm. uh, there's always two questions. The first question is is this financially the right thing for everyone involved? The company, the investors, the employees, um, and, and like for, for, as a business strategy, is it the right thing? Like that's, I think like on one hand, you need to figure that out. I think on the sec, on the other hand, the other thing you really have to figure out is for me as the founder and this person that I am and my personal goals, is this, is this the right time to exit or do I want to go, raise another 40 million and go sign up for another say five to eight years and then get an IPO. And I think that is an honest question to ask uh, at every stage of the game. Uh, Personally for me, um, there were two or three things that drove the decision-making process. One, we had two deals on the table and both were good for employees and they were pretty good for, for investors. Two, with the investors and, and myself, we were pretty convinced that this was going to be a subcategory and not a category. Um, mm. and, and so we we're like, you know what? I think we're better off joining forces with a larger company versus uh, trying to go raise another Series C, which by the time we turned the company around, people were interested in putting in. But it's like, to what end? Like, if we don't think we can really get it to that, like, why raise that money? There's opportunity costs involved in people's lives and time and uh, and all of that. So, mm. so, and then the third thing was, you know, why did I start the company and what did the company become? Uh, so for context, how is sales engagement software? Uh, we were one of the first ones. We we're one of the first ones that charged $30 a month for email, uh, for mm. an email platform. Now it's normal with superhuman, uh, back then it wasn't. And the reason I started it was because I wanted to change how people communicate what the company turned into was how do salespeople send out a lot of emails to get meetings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where the market kind of pulled us. And this is where I think like, you know, there's the business strategy, there's the financial strategy, there's the fiduciary duty to investors and employees and teams. There's also the personal question of, do you want to spend the next eight years of your life building an email tool that does this? Or do you want to go do something else uh, and lock in the win? Uh, And for me in both fronts, from a business perspective, like we thought we, and I think people still believe that it was more of a subcategory. Uh, and secondly, for me, I'm like, I don't really want to go build a bigger email machine right now. I'd mm. rather go do something broader uh, in terms of the space. And that's how I made the decision. Makes perfect sense. So it's a personal decision at that point. I think founders should look at that at every stage of, of you know, whether it's raising capital or not. Don't just follow what's the trend and what's working and what you think you have to do, right? I mean, you have, at the end of the day, you can decide what, what you want to do at some capacity. Yeah, there's a little bit of like, yeah, like everyone talks about product market fit, right? There's also a thing of founder market fit. Yeah. And you can't, you can certainly pivot your way to product market fit, but not necessarily founder market fit, meaning you can probably get to an idea that the market wants and you could be serving them. However, it may not be the thing you want to be spending the next 10 years of your life on. And I like to think of like, especially in SaaS, like you're a SaaS investor and I, I, I love SaaS businesses. 
every SaaS business is kind of a 10-year journey, like good or bad. Uh, yeah. it's, an, it's an eight to 10-year journey, and unless you're like dabbling in it. But if you're serious about it, it's a 10-year journey for each of the things that you take on. And I think you've got to like make sure you're in a space that you absolutely love and you want to go after and solve. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Don't don't just. I find a lot of people just chase the opportunity more than like. Do you really want to solve this problem? Like, who cares? Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there's a good reason why I say that, and maybe you believe that too, is because uh, SaaS is also competitive. Yeah. And ultimately, the person that wins is the person that cares a lot more. And you can tell. Your customers can tell. Uh, so if you you got to be really in it to win it, and if you're just like pivoting your way, like. I have competitors in what I do now and I can look at my competitors and I know I care more that way. That, and that's why I know I'm going to win. And I think like if you can wholeheartedly tell yourself that whatever space you're in, if you can tell yourself like, no, I care more about solving this problem, serving my customers, making this a big thing, turning this into a movement. If you can truly believe that, then you will win in the space that you're in. And that's what's needed. And that's why I think that founder market fit is super important. Love it. Uh, so, you know, coming, coming to today, you know, you, right now you focus on helping founders in three areas of, of their life, right? So their, their business, uh, their life, and their capital. What's your vision and, you know, your North Star? What are you trying to achieve here? And, and what do you care about with working with SaaS founders and helping them lead more proactive lives? Yeah. Uh, so I, I started this thing called Unstoppable. Um, we do a, we run a YouTube channel first and foremost. And you, you can check that out, tkkater.com slash YouTube. Uh, and we do videos about two to three times a week about building, scaling, growing, and exiting SaaS businesses. And uh, I think there's three critical things that a founder needs. The founder is our customer. Um, you can kind of consider it as sort of like a uh, management consulting, management advisory firm. Like that's what we really are for founders, uh, except it's super affordable for founders. It's not like, like a McKinsey or something like that. And there's three, three components that you have for a founder that they really need, having gone through the journey myself. The first is life. The second is your business. And the third is capital. Those are the three things that you need the most. In terms of life, like, yeah, I, and I'm sure you've seen this also, having worked with countless founders, 50% of the game is mindset. Uh, like 50% of it is strategy and execution and having the right features and your pricing strategy and all of those things. But the other 50% is truly mindset. And that's like ensuring that you as a founder, you're kind of like a, a pro athlete and you're running at peak performance. Um, and you're, you're making sure, and it's not about the hustle culture. It's not about working 80 hour weeks. It's about making sure you have good habits in place so that you go into every week with an unstoppable plan. So that's the first pillar. And we teach people how to do that. Um, the second pillar is every SaaS business is built on three core pillars. Uh, the first is uh, market. Second is product. And the third is go to market. And most founders we found over index on product and not enough on market and go to market. And so we run a go to market uh, coaching program uh, as part of Unstoppable, where we help you really round out the strategy around market and go to market and build a scalable go to market machine. Uh, and that's from my personal experience in Marketo, which was a rev tech company, uh, touted app, which was a rev tech company. And also in itself, those were SaaS businesses. So it's like it, from all angles. So we teach people how to do that. So that's your business strategy. And the third is capital. Um, I used to angel invest and then things got weird when I started coaching. People would get on the call, try to pitch me for an angel investment. And, and I'm like, no, like this is a coaching 
sales call. So I stopped angel investing. So now it's, I, I, what I do is I do have a very deep network of investors in Silicon Valley and all over the world. So uh, anytime someone's raising, uh, if they're part of the community and the program, then we do pitch deck reviews. We have standard best practices and we hook them into my network uh, to, get, to raise money as well. And that's kind of the capital arm. And so you get the mindset piece, which is life. You get the business strategy and then you get the capital. Those are the three things you need to essentially be an unstoppable founder. And that's, that's what we focus on. Very nice. Yeah, I think it has to start with the mindset, right? I think that's why the most core piece, if you don't have that, you know, everything will fall apart, right? You can't, I don't think you can raise capital if you're, uh, you know, investors will see through that and then your business, uh, you know, won't last, right? Yeah, it's so funny though. It's funny you mentioned that. And I think because you have deep experience, you recognize that. Mm. Um, our best seller across the board is, is the go-to-market program. Go-to-market program promises you like, hey, we'll help you accelerate your growth. Uh, we'll help you build a predictable go-to-market machine. And people buy that. And at this point, we have almost two founders joining every week right now, which is actually like in, in terms of the program, it's, it's, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the other hand, the mindset stuff, no one pays attention to when we're trying to market it. Like people just don't engage. But when you buy the go-to-market program, we give you access to the mindset program for free. Uh, hmm. And it's so funny because once we earn their trust on the go-to-market program, then they start watching the go-to-market, uh, the mindset stuff. And they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> but, but like on the onset, that's just not on the top of your list to solve, even though uh, if you solve the mindset, everything else becomes a lot easier, but it's counterintuitive, right? You, we keep telling ourselves as founders, like, hey, as soon as I have this predictable growth machine and the business is growing and everything's great. We raise that round. My life, my personal life is going to be awesome, but it's actually not true. It, it goes the other way around. Once you get your personal life in order, your business thrives. Uh, but that's hard to convince people of. So we, we just sell people on the go to market program. And then we also give them the mindset for free. Uh, <laughs> and, and we kind of rise all tides that way. And that works out pretty well for us. That's interesting. I mean, that makes sense. As a founder, you're coming in here, you're just like looking at what the, the, the main problem is, even though there's a, this is the real problem, you're like, no, no, I want to focus on this, right? But at some point, it'll yeah. come back. And Yeah, yeah. You, you get used to the, the, the you know, uh, I, I'm sure founders right now can relate to this. Like when I was running Tout App, we were at like 80 employees at one point and like we, we were on the 30th, the 29th floor of a building in San Francisco and like my days would be like where all I would remember is going into the office and then a whole bunch of stuff happens. And then I would remember going out of the office. Everything in between was like Narnia, like time just goes at a different pace and all kinds of crazy things happen. And, but that's the life of founders. And unless you learn to bring it into control, it's really hard uh, to run at peak performance. So I think you need an unstoppable strategy for both. You need an unstoppable strategy for your life and you need one for your business. Uh, start with whichever one makes sense to you, but just know that when you get your life in order, your business thrives a lot faster. It makes sense. So I want to talk a little bit more about the mindset. You talk about the three steps to transfer your, transform your life and adopt that un unstoppable mindset. Number one, I think you mentioned going into Mondays with an unstoppable plan. Number two, getting clarity, adapt and build a life plan and execute on your plans with a 45 day challenge. Mm -hmm. um, curious, how does an unstoppable plan on Monday look like for you? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So for 10 years now, uh, I started doing this when I was, when I was running Tout App. Um, like weekends were really hard for me. Uh, and the best way I could describe it was like, like 
you know, you know that, you know, you leave the office on Friday and you go home and you're like, all right, cool. Like, we're just going to take it easy a little bit. And that transition from just riding really hard through the week because you're going at startup speed to slowing down for the weekend was super tough for me. I couldn't just turn my brain off. You couldn't just leave all the problems aside. And, and the best way I could describe it was, it was kind of like, like, like you're a Ferrari and, you know, Ferrari is good at two things, just standing still and looking hot or going really fast. Right. Uh, but weekends felt a little bit like you're being forced to drive the Ferrari in a 20 miles per hour school zone. It's like awkward and it's like, you know, like it's making weird noises. It can't quite go. It's stopping. It, it's abrupt. I'm never, it's just terrible, right? It's not designed for that. And that's what I think founders deal with. And Sundays were the worst for me because like now I'm like finally calmed down a little bit, but now I'm like getting anxiety about Monday morning and all the things I need to do and things I haven't done. And maybe I could have moved ahead. And so I started doing Doing this thing where every Sunday I would spend 30 minutes asking and answering two simple questions. Uh, the first one is, where am I? And the second is, what do I do next? And I actually have a Google Doc that goes back nearly eight years. I just kept writing in it every, every Sunday. Where am I? What do I do next? And I just answered those questions. And what that helped me do was instead of trying to solve everything and fix everything, I just helped me acknowledge what I have going on in the head, uh, going on in my head and then making a plan of just three big things I want to get done in the coming week. And I did that every Sunday and every Monday I would go and be like, these are three things I just need to crush this week. Let's look at the calendar, make sure it's all in sync. Um, it also helped me kind of acknowledge how far I've come, like what I've accomplished. By the time mm -hmm. Sunday night happens, you already forgotten all the wins you've had last Wednesday, right? You're too That's worried about next week. So uh, that's a practice that I started doing. I started teaching other founders to do it and they got a lot of value. So now we turn it into a little SaaS application that helps you practice it every Sunday. So you can just go to unstoppablesunday.com and sign up and you'll get the instruction and the training and a little notebook to do it. And that's how I create a plan. I still do it every Sunday. It helps me feel better. It helps me express gratitude. It helps me make a plan for the week. It helps me organize my calendar the right way. Uh, and so it's just a simple practice. You just answer those two questions in the right way. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. That's, that's helped me navigate my mindset going into every week with, with what I call an unstoppable plan. I love it. I love other people who do that as well. So I do it every, every day I do my journal, but then on Sundays I have the, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Brendan Burchard. He has something called the high performance habits. So he has, where you rate different areas in your life from the last week, you know, from zero to 10, you know, yeah. if it's not a 10, okay, what do you need to work on, on, on that area to get to a 10 by next week? So it just kind of recalibrates every week and, you know, you're ready to get in and get back on the battlefield by Monday. Right. So I think that's, yeah, totally. <laughs> I've, I've looked at Brendan's work and there's a lot out there. And what, yeah. one of the things I found was, 99% of people out there get turned off by journaling, meditation, yoga, mainly because it just becomes overly complex. It's sure. like, it feels like a commitment. It's like, and so what I wanted to do was like, Hey, what are just two simple questions that everyone, if they were to answer every Sunday, they'd just mm -hmm. be better off. So we, we actually call it like a unstoppable Sunday practice and no fancy yoga pants required. Like <laughs> you literally just need to answer the two questions and you're, yeah. you're good to go. So for some, like, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, he, he owns uh, sort of a journaling company and, and, you know, they're a direct to consumer, uh, multi-million dollar company and they're profitable. They just sell journals, nothing fancy, super powerful. Uh, but it takes a certain crowd to really be into that. And what we wanted to create was something that's just like for anyone that can do it and super easy and can get hooked into it by answering two simple questions. Um, so whatever works for you is what I said. Bre Brendan's stuff is also good. 
simple, simple works. And how, how should founders gain clarity, adapt and build a life? So on, on that side, right, like you're coming in here, how do you even get started to you know, build yeah. a life plan? Yeah, this connects to what we were talking about before, right? Like if you're working on a SaaS business, um, you know, you might create a strategy to grow. You might create like, all right, we're going to go raise this round and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Great. Um, what we often skip for founders is, well, what does that mean for me? What are my personal goals five years from now? Right? Mm-hmm. Who do I want to be? Uh, and I think that's super important. And so the two things, like the two things we teach in the mindset program is uh, first, just go to every Sunday with the plan. You can do that uh, uh, with the app. The second thing is, let's just create who you want to be five years from now, right? Five-year vision. Sounds simple. Most of us don't do it. But if you were to create that, when you're thinking strategically about your business and you have clarity into who you want to be five years from now, you're going to make better decisions. You're going to make better longer-term decisions. You're going to make better strategic decisions. You're going to start to learn to think short, uh, long-term. Uh, and not just optimize for the short term. So that's the second piece. Like, where are you going? What is the longer term vision? Who do you want to become? Um, and then the third thing we teach people, uh, and you'll appreciate this if you're in, 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 in SaaS businesses and startups, is how to do 45-day sprints. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're navigating our life in terms of, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to achieve perfect balance. And it's a bunch of bullshit. No one achieves, no one achieves perfect balance and gets real stuff done. The only time we get real stuff done, we really move things forward is when we say, screw everything else. And this is the one thing I'm really going to own over the next, over the next period of time. You know what? Normally when we do that is when someone else tells us it's time to do that. Meaning Mm. if there's an emergency, all of a sudden you're not that busy. You're going to focus on an emergency and solve it. If there's a fire to put out, all of a sudden you're not trying to do balance. You're trying to solve that fire when you had finals week in college, or if you have a doctor friend that had, that had the, the MCATs or, or the boards to study for, when you had a lawyer friend who was studying for the bar, all of a sudden society said, hey, it's okay to forget everything else and just focus on the board and the bar and, uh, and finals. Uh, and socially, it was okay. You could tell a friend like, hey, I can't do this because I'm starting for the boards. And everyone's like, oh, I totally get it, man. But if you're a startup founder and you go to a friend and you're like, hey, I really can't do this. Like, I'm trying to like work on the company. And they're like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, why are you working so hard? Like, why aren't you staying? Because they don't get it. They don't understand. Most of your friends aren't entrepreneurs. So I was like, why can't we have a thing? And so I started calling it a 45-day challenge. And I would tell my friends, hey, I'm doing a 45-day challenge. And they totally understand. They'd be like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of like an Iron Man. I'm like, yeah, something like that. Except you get really rich in the end. Like, how's that sound? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I start, I realized that when, when you give it a name, you get excused from society to go double down on what you need to double down and go get what you need to get done. And so if step one is going every week with an unstoppable plan, step two is know where you're going, have a five-year vision. And step three is do 45-day challenges. 45-day challenges to pick up one goal at a time and just knock it out. Just knock it out of the park. Like if your SaaS business has a, a, a growth problem, spend 45 days on it. Here's how we're really going to change our growth strategy. If you have a churn problem, spend 45 days across the team. Like we're going to fix churn once and for all. Let's find out our top 25 churn codes. Let's find the five features that cause the biggest issues. Let's solve the biggest requests that top 20% of tickets. We're going to solve that in the next 45 days and we're going to improve churn, guaranteed. No one will ever cancel again because of this one reason. Do a four or five day challenge around that. And that's what really gets everything moving a lot faster in your life and your, your business. 
Hmm. I want to just add to that, just ask you a little bit. I don't know if there's a little bit of research behind the days of what you selected. So 45 days, I've also heard, you know, there's like the 12 weeks. Typically what you see is that 12 weeks is kind of a, a sweet spot. And you see that with like, you know, weight loss challenges or transformational challenges in your, your body, for example. Or then you also have on business side, you have like uh, OKRs on a quarterly basis, right? Where same same kind of concept where you're focusing on maybe two or three things over the year, maybe one or two for the quarter. And then you just really hammer on that. Um, have you seen any, like, is this the 45 day make a difference? And, uh, sorry about that. No worries. Uh, yeah. Have you seen yeah. any difference specifically with that 45 days and does it work more effectively or is it just, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I trial and error this and there is some, there is some, uh, some research behind this. Uh, if you do 30 days, um, so the, the way these 45 day challenges work is you pick one big goal and you're going to focus on that. So if you do 30 days, you will actually not think that strategically. You'll think you'll pick a short-term goal because you're like, I only have 30 days. Uh, if I give you 60 days, you're going to procrastinate the first 15 days, guaranteed. <laughs> like you're going to build out your sure. action plan. You're going to move a lot slower. And then when the 45 day mark hits, you're going to be like, oh my God, like we're less than 45. Like that's close. So 45 days happens to be a little bit, and you, you can call it 45 days, you can call it six weeks, depending on how your brain, what feels better in your brain. And people mm -hmm. process that differently. But when I give you 45 days, it's just enough time where you're, you're going you're to feel that fire in your ass to move faster. Um, um, and you're, you're also not going to procrastinate, but it's, it also feels like it's enough time where you can take on something a little bit more strategic. Right. Like mm -hmm. if I were to say to you like, Hey, we're going to reduce churn by one point over the next 45 days versus over the next 30 days, 30 days. You're like, Oh, that feels a little aggressive. Maybe maybe it's like a quarter point, like 45 days. You're like, Oh yeah, we can do that. If it's 60 days, you're like, Oh, we should do three points. I'm like, yeah, sure. 60 days. Like anything can happen in 60 days. It's That's too true. far out. 45 mm -hmm. days happens to be that lens of focus that really gets you. Going. You can feel it, right? Like even when I pitch it to you, yeah. you can yeah, yeah. feel how your body's going to respond to 45 days. Versus 60 days. You're like, 60 days, we've got mm. plenty of time. Let's pick up even mm. bigger goal. That's you're procrastinating 15 days. 30 days, you're like, hey, that's barely enough time. Like, we're already at 29 days now. Like, by the time that's we kick true. So, uh, so 45 <laughs> days works really well for that. Nice. I love it. I'm going to have to try to pick something up and test that out myself. Dude, dude you should totally do it. It's, it's, yeah. it's a game changer. Awesome. Well, I'll let you know how that goes. Um, so you, you've obviously had really good success, you know, with your, your, your startup, you've had a great exit and now you have, you know, working on this project here today. How, how do you currently measure success in your life today? And uh, while still maintaining fulfillment in your life? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, so I, I was born in Bangladesh and I, cool. I moved to, I grew up in Queens, New York. I moved here when I was 10. So, um, I think like, Goal number one in life was get to a point where uh, you can you can do whatever you want. Uh, like that was kind of goal number one. Like be able to do whatever you want, and that requires a certain level of wealth. That requires a certain level of uh, autonomy. That requires a certain level of skills, so that you're not beholden to others. So that was kind of like like all I ever wanted to do ever since I stepped foot in this country is like get to a point where I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. um, and once you get to that point, then it's a question of, all right, what do I want? What do I want to do? Uh, right. Like, and, and it's almost easier to have that job and, or just, you know, be in a startup and not quite sure, like others are telling you what to do. Um, you don't have to decide. So for me today, the biggest thing that I learned now, now that I can work on anything is the, the best moments of my startup career 
and even in just my career in general, were because of uh, the people. Uh, there was a certain group of people that I worked with that brought me joy, that helped me grow, became lifelong friendships, deep relationships. And that's what really made it fulfilling. And for me, what I realized was when I was in a room filled with people who were high achievers, were goal setters, wanted to accomplish big things, wanted to have impact, wanted to make a ton of money, so not because they can go buy something flashy, but because they could use that money to go rearrange the world the way they see, see fit to make it a better place and have that impact. That's when I was happiest. Um, and so that's what brought me fulfillment. Um, and, you know, I have a friend, his name is Paul Singh. He's like a prolific angel investor, great guy. He always told me, he's like, he's a little bit older than me. He's like, you know, TK, I figured this out. I'm like, what'd you figure out? It's like, I finally figured out what you want in life. Like, like the two things that matter the most. I'm like, okay, what are they? Like for you. And he's like, it needs to be fun and it needs to be profitable. If it's not fun and profitable, then you shouldn't do it. If it's only fun and unprofitable, then you shouldn't do it. If it's only profitable and not fun, then you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, that sounds great. I like that. Uh, and so that's why I started Unstoppable. It's fun. It's profitable. And I get to work with SaaS founders who are looking to build, looking to create wealth and looking to have impact in the world. And that's what fulfills me. And that's what makes me really happy. Like one of the things we do is every Wednesday, um, we do a group Zoom call with all the CEOs that are inside my programs. Mm. And we talk about different things. We do hot seats. It, it, like, I seriously look forward to it because I, I, like, it is the best call to be on in the, on planet earth to me on, on mm. Wednesday. Like the only, only one other thing that I would enjoy more than that call with SaaS CEOs every Wednesday, where we talk about stuff that founders are going through. We talk about how to grow SaaS businesses. Like the only other thing I would be is like a call where we're just talking about scotch. Like that's the only other thing. <laughs> uh, and so, um, so that's what fulfills me. And that's how I think about it now. Nice. Yeah. I can relate to a lot of that. And I think that's something I ponder a lot as well, I've have pondered as well, and that you know it's really about finding your tribe. So I think that's what you're saying. It's, and when you have that tribe, it just it just feels a lot funner. Um, you're around smart people, at, you know, same who think like you. And then you know when you go out there and make money together, it's like you're out there. You know, you have your tribe, and you're going out hunting and gathering and bringing back the resources. You know, all 300 out there. So I think yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah, beats that. Right? That's true. <laughs> a tri tribe is a like a tri tribe is a good way to refer to it. Uh, I also, I also like the word, uh, legion. Legion is my legion. other favorite word. Like call it the unstoppable legion oh, yeah. of SaaS founders. Uh, that's also like, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, we're more connected than ever as humans, but even within that connectedness, what we were really looking for is that subset of people that really understand us and connect with us and have similar values. 100%. Uh, it's like that old saying, like, I don't know if you ever heard this. It's, I guess it's a joke, but like the human nature is you put three people on a deserted island, two of them will start a country club and not let the third join. That's human nature for you. <laughs> uh, like, we like to belong and we like to call out who does not belong. And that's what gives us fulfillment in a weird way. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> this is some, 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 some version of that. Yeah, interesting. Cool. So, you know, you also, um, to help SaaS founders, you get on the call with them every week, you're helping, helping them accelerate and grow their business. So I think your focus is really to 3 million in ARR with your three steps. Is that correct? Yeah. So we essentially have uh, three tiers. Uh, we have like a self-study course for people that are at zero revenues, trying to get to their first 10 paying. Um, but really our go-to-market program is focused on how you go from some revenues to 3 million ARR. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then once you get there, there's a higher tier program called the growth program, 
where we help you get from three to 10. And that one's um, a little bit more intense, a little bit more focused on the right levers to dial. Because uh, once you get to three and you're trying to get to 10, a bunch of other things come into play that you shouldn't worry about sub three. Uh, things like ecosystem, things like partnerships, uh, uh, those things, uh, things like um, market segmentation, um, those things help a lot more sub uh, on top of three as you're trying to get to 10. Mm. Um, after 10, like the whole journey from 10 onwards, uh, we don't focus on as much, um, mainly because you know, I try to stick with what I have done myself. Mm. Uh, I think there are a lot of coaches out there that have no business coaching because they've never done it. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm like, okay, what have I done? All right. I've taken it from zero to 7 million ARR. I've done exits. So I'm going to focus on that. I've also worked on 350, 375 million ARR businesses and helped grow those and have exit, exited those. So we focus on the super early stage. And I also work with some CEOs that are in the very, very late stages, uh, 300, 300 plus million ARR, um, mm that are looking to uh, kickstart growth, find new innovation opportunities, look at acquisitions as a form of growing, uh, and also look at potential exits. So those are the kind of two things that I've done and so I work on uh, with Very other cool. founders on. Very cool. So on that sub three million strategy, can you get, share a little bit of what you guys do there to help them you know, so they help them leverage and then maybe some examples of what's, what's worked there? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so I think like th there's three core things we work on inside the program. Um, the first is your initial customer profile. Uh, a lot of times startups get overwhelmed and obsessed and then pursued with inaction on ideal customer profiles. Uh, you, you map out and you're trying to get a big TAM and you choose anyone and everyone. So we really help you hone in on your initial customer profile. So that, that's going to get you to 3 million. And hopefully you're not going to be out of people to target once you get to 3 million because you got to get to 100 million to get a really successful SaaS business, right? So that's step, step one. The second thing we work on is um, your strategic narrative. Um, we call it a manifesto. Um, and, you know, every startup, is essentially uh, a movement. Yeah, the founder woke up one morning and, and, and you know, it's funny, like someone wrote an art, someone really legit wrote an article about every startup is a movement. And I'm like, man, we've all been saying that, but now you've made it totally legit. But now if we say it, it's going to sound like we just ripped you off, but it's not true. Um, so every startup is a movement. And the reason for that is, you know, you as a founder, you woke up one morning and you're like, I'm going to go do this thing. And I'm going to go convince everyone else that this is the thing, right? That's what essentially a SaaS business is in these early stages. You have some unique insight that led you to that. You had some unique experiences that led you to that insight. And now your job really to get to $3 million is to convince as many of those people as possible. And so we help you create that strategic narrative and we help you create this thing called a manifesto that helps you really codify what your movement is, why it exists, and why others should also use your software what they need to understand. And it's, a, it's about six to eight slides. We teach you how to do it in a very specific way. Nice. Um, and when you do that, a bunch of things happens. Your, it, your website becomes easier to write. Uh, your outbound emails becomes a lot clearer. Your lead magnet is a lot easier to make. It's usually the manifesto itself. How you talk about your startup, what your value prop is, becomes a lot easier. So we work on creating that manifesto that helps you make all those things easier. It's so funny. Like, I still do... The, uh, the sales calls for our go-to-market program. And every time like we're on a call and I'll talk, tell the founder, I'm like, 
okay, cool. Like, just tell me where you are in your business so I can understand if we can help you. By the way, I'm on your website right now. Like nine times out of 10, the founder will be like, oh, we're redoing the website. Like every single time. <laughs> like nine times out of 10, because startup founders are perpetually re replacing their website because they haven't done the strategic narrative work to really define who they are and why they exist and why the people should care. And so they're constantly trying to tweak it to understand what sticks. But if you do the narrative work, then it becomes a lot easier to do those things. Mm. So first part is initial customer profile. Second is your manifesto, your narrative. And the third is we help you run a Broadway show. Uh, a Broadway show is like, if you think about your average startup, every week they're trying to figure out like, what new thing do we do to get attention? Um, and that's almost like creating a new show every week and trying to get people to pay attention. Like a lot of founders I talked to, they're like, oh, we hired a content person. They're blogging. It's like, first of all, the results of SEO are like 18 months out. Second yeah. of all, blogging does not lead to action for your product and for your sales process. So that's the wrong way to go. So we help you run a Broadway show that puts the manifesto in the middle of it and helps you get attention and helps you have customer conversations on a, on a weekly basis based on that broad ratio. And those three things, your initial profile, your initial customer profile, your manifesto, and your Broadway show, we train you on how to do that and run it, and that builds your predictable go-to-market machine. It's Very the nice. same strategy that I used at ToutApp, same strategy that Marketo used numerous times to their journey. Uh, same strategy that a lot of successful startups use, but we've codified it in a way so it's easy to follow for founders. So you don't have to be a marketer, but you can follow the steps so you can get the momentum going, so you can go get revenue flowing, so you can go raise that next round and then go build out the bigger team. Uh, so you, so you, you, kinda, you can kind of uh, start to get kickstart that growth. And for those uh, founders that you work with, maybe they've already gone out to market and they have some, you know, some kind of decent sales coming in, but maybe the specific problem they're solving doesn't have a large market or a TAM to address. What's your, do you work with them on that and do you adjust, help them adjust their product to, you know, and strategy around that or? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like we we like we want to say like two thirds of the program are people already with some revenues mm. that are like, hey, like we, we kind of have this, but this is not predictable, scalable. You know, we need a better machine and we need a better way to position this thing. Uh, and that's what we do spend a lot of time working on uh, mm. with the founders in the program. Um, and the, and, and, you know, there, there are certain SaaS levers that you can turn. There, there's market segmentation that you can do. Um, there's um, specific uh, uh, types of people you can go after. There's specific add-ons you can add so that your, your, your core offering becomes that much more valuable. So there's different strategic levers you can turn to make a SaaS offering more valuable. Uh, and we work through those and we train founders on those so they can grow in a more uh, aggressive way. Make, makes sense. And then another, uh, you know, challenge people have in the early stages is maybe when they don't have product market fit yet, they're still trying to figure out their, their LTV, right? Because they're trying to you know, grow their customers, drive more revenue, but it's not defined yet because they're still too early. Um, and maybe their CAC is, you know, higher than their LTV, right? Um, when you look at that, what's your strategy, you know, to still build a scalable uh, customer acquisition channel to help them improve their business model and drive up that, that ratio? Yeah, usually your CAC is out of whack because uh, you started with ads. That's that's the number one reason why mm -hmm. people people's CAC goes out of whack. Um, that kind of rhymes. That should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, CAC is out of whack. CAC is out of whack. Uh, um, because of ads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and usually the reason 
for that is because they haven't done the work to uh, really hone in on what they're selling, why people are buying and positioning in the right way. And mm. so it, the best way to improve CAC is to stop spending on unprofitable marketing channels. And a lot of times people are just spending and not looking at attribution. And so uh, that's the first thing we, we would talk through. What are your unprofitable channels or, or even questionable ones that you're not even sure you can get attribution on? Mm. Uh, the second thing we would say is, um, let's stress test your value proposition, your sales deck, and really understand what you're, like, what you're solving for. Uh, do you really understand that? If you were to go to 10 of your customers and ask them why they really pay and stay and expand, like doesn't match up to what you think. Mm. Usually by the time you do those two things, you start to realize that you're spending a bunch of ads because you really don't want to get the messaging and the positioning and with the manifesto for, is what I call it, right. And so all of a sudden your CAC improves a ton because you may be closing less or the same number of deals, but you're not spending money because it's kind of spurring and praying. And that's the first way to just immediately fix your CAC. The, the second way is how do you actually drive towards more uh, a scalable go-to-market machine? My mm-hmm. thesis around all this is you got to do it in stages. Most people start with outbound spray and pray, mainly because it's so easy. And yeah. believe me, like, I, I don't, like I'm one of the people, one of, one of, one of like a small group of people that started this game of, that's what TowDap did. So I, I get it. It's like it, almost in a way, like this is retribution in a way. But yeah. I have to go to founders like, listen, stop. Like, like an email automation tool like Outreach and SalesLoft and Yesware and TowDap, whatever you use, there's honestly a hundred of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a giant machine gun. Um, and the question is not whether you can pull the trigger on that giant machine gun. The question is, are you bullets of quality? And are you targeting that machine gun at the right, right, right things? That's what matters. But a lot of times people just focus on firing the machine gun and they're firing blanks. They're firing at the long things. And they're all like, my strategy doesn't work. There's no product market fit. It's like, no, like you're probably just not talking to the right people. Right. Um, Mm. And so what I like to do is, you know, in the program, we start off with, we go in stages. Like, how do you start with uh, friends of customers, existing customers, to really vet out your, your manifesto? Then how do you get into inbound? And we teach you how to do inbound based on the certain social channels in the right way. Then how do you do outbound? Um, and we do outbound in certain phases so you don't just burn your brand. Some of these outbound messages I get, I'm like, oh my God, like, if I showed this to your mom, she'd be ashamed. <laughs> like, why did you send this message? Um, and then we, we think about all bound. All bound is a very powerful principle, for, especially when you're running in small budgets, which is not quite ads on cold traffic, uh, but it's more about retargeting. And that can mm-hmm. actually really, really get the, get the deals flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can start to think about cold acquisition. But, but founders tend to start with cold ad acquisition and spray and pray outbound. And then they say, I don't have product market fit. And it's like, you haven't even talked to anyone. Uh, you basically talk to a wall. And so there's a much more specific way we teach you in the program to really build the strength and the muscle so you can go a lot faster in the long run. Love it. Um, it was kind of the last piece here of, of your, your kind of business model. So you TK Capital, you said you're no longer an angel investor at the moment, but you have your, your network of investors that, you know, you, you can help them uh, 
make the connection to what's so what's start, the, a, start a rolling fund these days like everyone's starting yeah, a rolling yeah fund, so. isn't that the big thing on twitter now yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what's your, what's the investment criteria that you guys or what else do you guys provide to the SaaS founders on on the tk capital side um primarily it's introductions right now mm. but anytime we introduce uh, a, a startup to um the network the investment network um I create a deal memo that matches the same investment criteria that I used to create a deal memo for just for my own investments. Cool. Um, and so, uh, and, and we look at, a, we look at a couple of key things. Uh, is it an important and urgent, uh, you know, we're dealing in the early stages, right? So you, there's a lot of unknowns and I, I, no one wants to admit to this, but 50 to 75% of early stage decisions are on the team, not anything mm. else. Yeah, uh, you're you're essentially betting on the team, and then you're saying, "All right, let's make sure that the idea is even fifteen or twenty percent good." Sometimes you use the idea as a proxy to understand if the team's any good or they're a bunch of idiots, right? <laughs> but you're also kind of betting like they're going to pivot at least four times before they get into something, and that's really what I'm betting on. And so I'm betting on the team and their ability to pivot. Right. So team is 50 to 60% of the criteria that I think any early stage founder looks at. I think after that, uh, at the end of the day, people are looking at TAM and the opportunity to either create the TAM or capitalize on the TAM. Mm -hmm. And founders that, that know at the, er, at the onset, whether they're disrupting an existing TAM or they're going to be creating that new TAM are smarter founders. Those that don't know, those that give you, you know, and we've all seen those pitch decks where they're like, people spend a gazillion dollars on toilet paper. If we just get 1% of that market on our unrelated toilet paper thing, we're going to be super successful, huge TAM. It's like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. But yeah. People put that on pitch decks, right? They do these top-down crazy analyses and kind of hope and smirk that up, up, uh, some investor buys it. Um, so I think like TAM is, I think, the second thing after team. Is mm. there a really big market? And is it an important and urgent problem? Is it important and urgent problem and a lot of people how, just like graze over that how do you define big tam what's what's a big for you what would you consider reasonable size well as an angel investor uh i want to go after something that is like everything like i only do b2b SaaS, and so i want to make sure that the SaaS offering is solving something for an entire department uh, mm. and that's what a big tam is for me like try, that's the proxy that I use. But if it's mm. like one person in the basement of HR that's going to be using this tool, I'm like, I don't know, dude, that's not <laughs> big enough or important enough or urgent enough. Um, mm. So that's how I think about it. You know, and also, I think like the TAM calculation is a lot, it's less about the number to me. It's more about the approach to get to that market Right? Mm. And I think it's super easy in SaaS businesses. There's really three types of SaaS businesses that are worth investing in. Now, I'm not talking about a bootstrap SaaS business because sure. you can have small ideas, be profitable, and it, it's wonderful businesses for SaaS founders. I'm talking about venture-backable SaaS businesses. There's only three kinds. You either have a system of record or you have a system of engagement or you have a system of intelligence. Those are the three. Mm. That's it. Mm. You're either mm. going to be the system of record for a department. If the system of record, you can't disrupt it or it already exists, you're going to be the system of engagement. 
And if you can't be the system of engagement, then you're going to be the system of intelligence or decision-making. And by the way, system of record is 10 times, 100 times more valuable than a system of engagement. A system of engagement is a thousand times more valuable than a system of intelligence. Uh, and so there's a pecking order there as well. It's going to be one of the three. And if you can show me how you're going to be the system of record for a certain department, for a large type of companies, and I'm like, I'm all ears. That's a large temp. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a system of intelligence for a tiny department that doesn't have a lot of budget, and it's not that important to the overall corporate strategy and growth or risk management, I'm like, ah, oh, man, like, I don't think anyone cares, dude. This is a not an important urgent problem. And it's not a big temp. That's how I think about it. That's, that's awesome. Well, if anybody in our audience has a, as a startup and, you know, targeting the system of records, reach out to TK. He'll probably have a look at it and <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you, TK. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add to that? No, no. Yeah, no. Uh, I think, I think that's good. I think cool. <laughs> we talked quite a bit about it. Sure. Sure. Cool. So where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what you're working on TK? Yeah. Uh, so go check out my YouTube channel. You'll learn more than you ever wanted about me and building SaaS businesses. Just go to tkcater.com slash YouTube. We do an episode three times a week to help you grow your SaaS business uh, with an unstoppable strategy. Um, and also, if you want to do the weekly planning exercise as a founder, go to unstoppablesunday.com. Um, and if you are building a SaaS business, you're at some revenues, you want to accelerate growth, have a predictable go-to-market machine, uh, go to tkcater.com slash GTM for our go-to-market program. Awesome. We'll put those uh, links in our show notes. I really appreciate it, TK. Glad to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate appreciate the questions. No problem. (laughs) All right, cheers. Take care. Bye. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.